Can you hear it with your ears? Can you see it with your eyes? Can you feel it wiggling between your quivering thighs? That thing, that thing, that thing with James. Once every millennium something will come along. When you feel it, you will know it cause it's coming on strong. That thing, that thing, that thing with James. Oh yeah, sit back, ooh, lean back, relax, deep breaths, no stress. Let me come inside your mind. I promise you it won't take long. The change will happen soon. You will feel something so special growing deep within you. That thing, that thing, that thing with James, that thing. That thing, that thing with James, that's me. Hello, and welcome to episode 60. I forgot to check before I started. What is this? 67? I think it's episode 67. Yeah, let's say it's that. Of that thing with James J. Asher II. I'm your host, James J. Asher II. That's me. If you are listening to this, nothing sounds any different other than your uh, acapella intro song. But for the viewers, you may find that the uh, the lighting in the background is a little bit different. And that's because I chose to set this up, the setup, on my desk in the kitchen slash office slash lounge because um, I didn't want to have to like tear up half the fucking kitchen like I usually do to get the tripod and everything set up. So I have the camera on a stack of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven books. I have uh, from bottom to top, I have the book stacked as um, Be Here Now by Ram Das. I have Journey to the End of the Night by Celine. Not not the singer. Um, I have Catch-22 by Joseph Heller. I have Finnegan's Wake by James Joyce. I have a first edition copy of Dune by Frank Herbert. I have um, a short history of nearly everything by Bill Bryson. A fantastic, fantastic science book. Uh, let's see. I have Capital Volume 1 by Karl Marx which I am currently hacking my way through. It's quite dry. Uh, La la la. I have a journey to Ixtlan, or Ixtlan, or Ixtlan, I-X-T-L-A-N, The Lessons of Don Juan by Carlos Castaneda, which uh, my friend Liz um, loaned to me. I need to get it back to her and... uh, in exchange for another Carlos Castaneda book uh, that she wanted me to read. Good stuff, good stuff. I have The Trial by Franz Kafka. I have uh, this Vonnegut book, one of the few Vonnegut books I've not yet read, but I'm reading through it as well, called Galapagos. And I have Dune Messiah, which is the sequel. Well, there's a number of Dune books, but by Frank Herbert. So if Dune is number one in the series, Dune Messiah is number two. I have, I think, four more books to go in the series that Frank Herbert himself wrote, I think, before he died. And then his son picked up the mantle and continued writing more of the Dune series. Um, But this episode is not about the books I have, because I've got a lot of them. Uh, this episode is, as you might be here because of it, Q&A. That's what this episode is about, Q&A. Um, now, I would do a Q&A on like a live stream. However, I don't think I have a broad enough fan base 
to really justify me doing a live stream just yet. I think that would be mostly just me by myself on a live stream. So what I did was a handful of days ago, I uh, put out notification on my social media, which by the way, I'm active on Instagram and Twitter and Twitter. My handle is at James J. Asher. And while I'm thinking of it, if you want to help support the show, if you're able to, um, you're more than welcome to donate uh, even as little as a dollar a month. Uh, my Patreon is that uh, patreon.com slash that thing with James. When you become a patron, you will have, you will gain access to my very short stories that I post once or twice a month. <laughs> I started out saying weekly, very short stories and that didn't work out. So I was like, okay, I'll do uh, one every two weeks. I got that done once and then the pandemic started and then it's been like once every three weeks. So I'm just going to say I put out a very short story uh, once or twice a month. So, okay. But they're really good because I'm a great writer. Um, and and you can get access to those if you become a patron at patreon.com slash that thing with James. So without further ado, uh, let's get into these questions that I gathered from people, um, acquaintances, some very loose, some tight, some friends, some family. Um, let me look these things up real quick. <laughs> so the first responses I got were on Instagram. Uh, let me pull this up. Ooh. The first question I got on Instagram was from at kinda like Dan, who asks, what those pupils doing though, man? Uh, well, I'll tell you first that if you were my pupil, you would certainly have a better command of the English language than that, kind of like Dan. What them pupils doing, though, man? Come on. Uh, are you asking about the pupils in my eyes? Are you asking about my former students? Are you even aware that I used to teach, at least in some capacity, for a few years? Yeah, I used to be a TA. And I also used to substitute teach and tutor. So I have former pupils and um, my parents are teachers. My mom teaches uh, intro to psychology um, as an adjunct professor at a, at a university, a community college. And my dad is a retired high school English teacher. Um, and he used to teach, what was it? Senior English, I was actually in his class, he taught senior English and um, freshman AP English. And he, as I would tell you, please, talk more gooder, man. What them pupils doing? Are you, are you, like, again, I ask, are you talking about the pupils in my eyes? If that's the case, are you referring to the reflection in my eyes at the video. When I made the video, that was like a call to action for people to um, write or, or, or yeah, ask me any kind of question. Um, there was a reflection from the, there might be a reflection in this. I don't know. I don't have a monitor set up, but there was a reflection from my lamp in my eyes and it may have like cast a sort of weird thing on them. Um, are you asking about that? Um, are you, I think, I suspect you were probably asking me about my crippling fentanyl addiction. And I will have you know that I don't do fentanyl alone. I also have a drug concoction that I enjoy every day when I wake up. I like to mix fentanyl amyl nitrate, aka poppers, I think those are poppers, poppers and or amyl nitrate, um, whippets, 
um, Lexapro for my anxiety, um, vitamins. I've been taking prenatals because they offer a better array of um, types of vitamins and minerals and the percentage of them for the same low price. I've been eating these gummies and they're like covered in this sugar. <laughs> they're so fucking good. I take two a day. I also take like um, medicinal well, just like mushroom powder. It's just different types of mushrooms like lion's mane and chaga and stuff like that. Uh, rail of cocaine, um, actual psilocybin mushrooms, um, two hits of blotter acid, uh, one hit of liquid, um, huff hairspray, um, and I also inhale um, air duster, even though they put the... Um, what is it called? The bitterants in them now? Like uh, the first time I, I inhaled air duster was in high school and it was only one time that I did it and it was pretty fun. Like I, it didn't make you high that I know of, even though there's an episode of some of those like addiction shows where there's this woman who is addicted to huffing air duster and she like did this huge, she's a very smart woman. Um, she just had a uh, mental health problem. Um, and that led to her becoming addicted to using air duster. And there's this famous, uh, bit from the episode where she takes a huff and goes, I'm walking on sunshine. You might know what I'm talking about. If you're asking, uh, if that's why my, my pupils are the way they are, then that's the way they are. Or maybe it's just got something to do with the fact that I've got the fucking light in my eyes. And I recorded it when it was early in the day. Eyes do things that they do, bro. It doesn't mean you're on drugs. And it doesn't mean you're not on drugs. So that's a non-answer for you. And if you're asking about my former pupils, I think they're doing pretty good. I, I'm still in touch with some of the uh, kids I knew from like intro to theater I was a TA for that, among other things, and uh, they're good. Most of them are doing well. So thank you for asking. Um, what them pupils are doing, though, man, kind of like Dan. Next question. Uh, the next question comes from um, at Pink Chucks, who asks, when did you get that nose ring? Uh, for the listeners, if you've never seen pictures of me or, or watched the show, um, I have a, a little uh, surgical steel hoop through my right nostril. I got this nostril pierced about, I'd say, what, four months ago? Somewhere around the end of February, beginning of March. I think it was, if, I, if memory serves me. And I had to wear a stud in it as opposed to the hoop that I have in it now. And I've always wanted the hoop in it. I've thought about uh, getting a nose piercing for a number of years. Um, and I just didn't do it because I didn't know if, because my nose is, it's not small, it's not huge, but um, my nose has character. And I, I say you can really uh, judge, like, not, not like a person's moral character, but you can judge, like, if a person is a character, if their nose has character. Uh, you can tell a lot about a person just by, I think, the structure of their their face, you know? And God, I can already, I can already feel like some assholes are going to say some, like, you know, someone might say, you know, use that as like, oh, is that a racist dog whistle for the size of the skull and all that? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is like, there's certain like uh, archetypes, like there's only a certain number of archetypes. Like you might see someone that you think you know, but it turns out to be a total stranger who just happens to look a lot like someone you knew in college. I mean, I've certainly met people who looked a lot like me, who had very similar facial structures, the cheekbones, the eyes, the nose, the jaw, so on and so forth. And maybe they were even like kind of tall and slender man, slender man, babadook, dook, dook, uh, 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 totally unrelated. 
ignore that. Um, I, you know, and I met these, uh, I meet this person who looks quite a bit like me. And I'm like, I have a feeling that this person is going to have a sort of a similar vibe to me, maybe a similar kind of humor, if you will humor me. <laughs> and turns out he did. Um, and certainly it's happened before where I meet someone who looks a lot like someone that I used to know. And I just sort of kind of get the the gut feeling that the person is going to be at least somewhat similar to the person I knew previously. And it turned out I was right. So that's kind of what I'm talking about. Well, anyway, I digress. Um, I didn't know if the nose piercing would work on me, even though I always kind of wanted one. Um, and so I tested around and, and, you know, I've had earrings. I've had my ears pierced since I was 15. And, um, well, I took one of the hoops from my ears and like put it on my nose, took some pictures, sent it to friends and said, does this look fucking dumb? And uh, the consensus I got back was, no, it looks good. And so I was like, all right, fine. Um, my buddy Ned, he does piercing. He, he's been on the show three or four times. He's one that did this tattoo. He's done two tattoos for me on, on air, um, on this podcast. Well, um, I got him to pierce my nose and I wore a stud in it while it healed up and it's still healing up because it's cartilage and not a lot of blood goes to cartilage. So nose piercings or any kind of cartilage piercing, uh, generally takes like about a year to really heal up plus or minus a few months. Um, but while it was healing up and I did prematurely try to put a hoop in it and I got it, the, the piercing infected a few times. Um, fortunately I was smart enough. I used to have a cartilage pierced on my left ear and that got really infected and I've still got a bump on there. I can just vaguely feel it, um, at the, like the top, top side of my left ear. Uh, that one got infected in a bad way. So I definitely had to take that out and just leave that piercing alone. The nose piercing, however, I've figured out how to clean it and keep it clean properly. So I was able to um, keep the piercing there instead of um, taking it out for good. So to answer your question, I've had the piercing for, I think, about four months now. Um, and I like it. I like the way it makes me, I like the way it looks. I like the way it makes me feel, feels more like me. Um, so yeah, that answers your question. Thank you for participating at Pink Chucks. Pink Chucks. Pink, pink Chucks. Okay, let's see here. At Wise Shanks, um, that's my, my good friend Josh, uh, who I know from, Oklahoma growing up. Um, I love you, bud. He, Wise Shanks asks, what's your absolute favorite album? Ooh, oh man. That's a hard one to answer. Um, that's really hard to answer because it changes. Um, I mean, I, I have my, my favorite bands that I always go back to. And I have my favorite albums that I always go back to. And it's really difficult for me to choose just one. And it's changed throughout time. For the, for a long time, it was, um, Jimi Hendrix, Axis, Bold as Love. Um, and then after that, I think it became Nirvana's um, third album in utero. And I still fucking love it. I mean, it's, it's hard not to say that's one of my favorite albums. It definitely is one of my favorite albums, but I, it's tough to say. And I'm working from a criteria, not of like necessarily, um, you know, like, with all the stuff going on right now, it would be easy to say, oh, I like this album because it's like a protest album. It's got the social commentary. Um, I'm working more from just like, 
um, a, uh, approaching it from uh, the album, the the craft of the album, just the the art that went into it and the the craft that went into making it. And in that regard, I think I would have to say that um, my favorite album, at least right now, and it has been for years now, is The Downward Spiral by Nine Inch Nails. It's It came out in 1994. I do believe it was 94. And I mean... Um, I didn't find it till years later, of course, because I was what, um, up uh, like on December 15th of 1994, I, I turned seven years old. So, um, I didn't really know about it then for sure. But looking back and understanding some of the, um, cultural, the historical context, um, I'm sure that album was just fucking uh, groundbreaking revolutionary thing, uh, the downward spiral, but even, you know, just taking it out of historical context, even to this day, I think the downward spiral is still fucking a groundbreaking masterpiece. It's a concept album. Most, well, I wouldn't say a lot of Nine Inch Nails albums are concept albums. At least I know the Downward Spiral is a loose concept. It's a story. It's a narrative of a man who um, loses his mind and falls into a downward spiral of not just depression, but pure, like, madness, psychosis, violence, uh, sex addiction, drug addiction, um, until he ultimately takes his own life at the end with Hurt, which was covered by um, Johnny Cash. And Trent Reznor himself said of Johnny Cash after Cash did his own um, cover of, of the song Hurt, uh, Reznor said, that's not my song anymore. That's Johnny Cash's song. And Cash did a fucking great cover of it. Um, I wouldn't say one or the other's better than the other, uh, either of their versions, Reznor's or Cash's. They're different and fantastic both in their own rights. They can both be fucking amazing at the same time. But The Downward Spiral is one of those albums that I've heard, I'd say, probably like tens of times. I've listened to it uh, in many different states of mind, emotional states, times of day, locations, seasons, uh, levels of intoxication or sobriety. Um, I've That album is an exploration. And so is the follow-up album, The Fragile. Um, but and, and The Fragile is also a fucking masterpiece. But... For me, and I, I love The Fragile, but I just find that I usually end up going back to The Downward Spiral more often than I do The Fragile. There's just something about it. It's got... If um, Josh, I'm sure you've probably heard it. I'd be surprised if you haven't heard it. Um, if, and if you haven't heard it, that's okay. I, but any Anyone who hasn't heard the album, I strongly... Uh, advise you to listen to it and approach it like uh, a book or a movie because it's definitely an album best consumed from beginning to end and it is great to listen just you know per song little blips but if you really 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 want to experience um, what I experienced and what I would love for others to experience is um, appreciate the work as a whole. Um, turn off your phone or, or, or at least put it on airplane mode or whatever. So you're not getting interrupted by roommates or anyone at home. Uh, close the door, lock the door, tell people to leave you alone for what, an hour, hour and a half or so. Um, don't check your emails. Don't, don't get text messages or phone calls. Just sit down, um, and get some 
I suggest headphones, get some really good headphones or uh, some really good speakers. Uh, but I say really good headphones because there are so many layers and textures to every one of the songs that I literally hear something new every single time. And maybe I might be hearing something that I've heard before. It's just maybe I'm picking up on some other like subtle intonations that I didn't hear in the textures beforehand. But there is just, it's one of those things that you can just keep revisiting. For me, at least, I can keep revisiting it and finding something new. And it's just so fucking heavy. It's so fucking heavy and dark and killer, but also, I mean, it's not just like some not so great metal band or something that's just constantly barraging you with heavy, 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 heavy. I mean, it's, I'm convinced that in 200 years, uh, people who appreciate music will look back on Trent Reznor the way we look back on someone like, uh, like Mozart or or Be- Beethoven, you know, I think he's a musical genius. Um, so yeah, I'd say that's my favorite album, at least right now and for the past several years is Nine Inch Nails, The Downward Spiral. Oh man, I'm getting thirsty. I'm going to take a quick break and I'll be right back to answer more questions. Uh, at Wise Shanks, thank you for participating. I'll be back to answer more of your questions. And I'm back. I have cooled off after a 15, 20 minute break with the air conditioning on, water, ate some snacks, checked my, uh, my ats. There were none because I'm not not that popular yet. One of these days, motherfuckers, one of these days, I'm going to show you all. I will show you all. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Let's continue with questions from people I know. And, And like one, I don't know. Okay. These questions are from Crystal. Crystal asks, um, let's see here. What did she ask? What makes you, she asked a few questions. What makes you feel inspired or like your best self? I'll tell you exactly what makes me feel inspired and like my best self. Lots and lots of free time. And, and not having to like go drive anywhere, not having to, um, run errands or anything, just having a good, healthy chunk of days off so I can just sleep. I sleep best. Even if I just get like ah, four hours of sleep or something, I always feel more refreshed when I wake up naturally than I do with an alarm. When I am woken up by an alarm, I always feel groggy, and then that just kind of like sets the tone for the rest of the day. Um, and I mean, mornings are important. They're, they get the ball rolling, and it can be hard to change the direction or type of roll that you get going first thing in the morning. Um, but I... I feel inspired and my best self. They always happen at the same time. Although I, I do feel inspired too when I feel like utter shit, an emotional wreck or something. Like this past weekend, I wrote a poem and turned it into a song uh, simply because something just felt so off. And I, I'd felt off for a few days. Um, and finally... I I sat down, opened up my journal and started writing and was like, I feel like there's something up. There's something brewing in me and I don't know what it is yet, but I feel like something is gestating. I'm about to give birth to something. And then lo and behold, I ended up writing a poem and uh, put it to music. Um, 
so yeah, it's pretty simple. Just um, getting enough rest and food and water and having free time. That's really all I need to find my my genius. Everyone has some level of genius, their own type of genius. Um, and some people have different rituals they do or, you know, church for my mom makes her feel whole and inspired and grounded and stuff. For me, it's just free time. It's just leave me alone. Let me do my thing for a while and I'll come up with something great just because that's the way I work. Okay. Uh, what's her next question is, what are your views about the pandemic? Real, politically driven, population control? It's most definitely real. It is not some like, I, I don't think that it's some government lab thing, but I do think that uh, politics played a part in how big, how it turned into a pandemic in the first place. Um, as far, if I remember correctly, uh, there were some virologists, some, some type of virus researchers who were working and studying COVID-19 and learning about it and trying to come up with like a vaccine, trying to learn the properties and behavior of it. Well, <laughs> Guess what? Like a year and a half ago or so, the uh, Trump administration cut funding and canceled the program that was studying COVID-19. And then it became a fucking problem. Um, politically, it's a fucking wreck. Um, it has shown absolutely the weaknesses of our current neoliberal capitalism under management of neo-fascists, essentially. Um, and that's a problem. Uh, we're all... Uh, dude, this is like a whole fucking episode. And there's another question I could put a whole episode on. So I'm trying to sum it all up here. But um, I, the virus itself isn't political, but the way it's been handled most definitely is political. Um, and what was the rest of that question? Let's see here. Um, uh, population control. Uh, I, it, it is being used as population control, at least in the U S but it's only certain members of the population. If you look, there's a disproportionate number of not only cases, but deaths among the black and Native American, and I'm sure Latino communities, but I know for sure the black and Native American communities are hit the absolute hardest. And those neighborhoods are not getting the support they need. I mean, there's a disproportionate number of um, Africans, Amer African Americans in prison. And these people are just being left to fucking die because there are so many white supremacists uh, at every level of our institutions. Um, of course, they're going to use this as an opportunity to uh, get rid uh, to, um, oh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? They're, they're using it as like a um, convenient uh, vehicle for eugenics, for what they would regard as cleansing the population of uh, people they don't like, people who just happen to have more melanin in their skin. Um, the next question, what can you do today that you were not capable of a year ago? Uh, pop certain parts of my back and, and pop my hip. Um, I do yoga. I, I aim to do it at least five days a week. Um, but I can, I usually manage at least like three days a week. And, um, and it's a ongoing, uh, process of trial and error, but 
I, I've got serious back issues. Thank God I'm not um, paralyzed or, or dead, but I, I broke my T8 vertebrae. I got a, like a 75% compression fracture um, due to a cliff diving uh, accident I had when I was 20. Um, and I mean, it just healed up that way. I've gone to so many different types of specialists to see, should I get surgery? And the consensus from everyone was no, for God's sake, don't get surgery because that will cause even more complications because I, uh, broke a very complicated part of my body. Um, so I, I have to live with, um, a little deformation in my spine and I work hard to manage the discomfort and pain, uh, that I have from it constantly. Um, and I've done many different types of physical therapy and everything. And I found for me personally, um, just using my own body weight, like doing yoga and Pilates, just, it works the best for me. It works for my body. Um, so yeah, I'd say I'm more mobile <laughs> than I was a year ago with my body. Uh, thank you for participating. Crystal, on to the next question. Uh, this one is from Jackie, um, who I know from my hometown. Jackie asks, what was your favorite thing about and or in high school? Well, you, of course. <laughs> um, my favorite thing about slash in high school was getting the fuck out, getting out of high school and getting out of that town. I spent so many years just very, very unhappy um, and feeling very, very out of place. So, I mean, that was, that's it. The best part of high school was getting the fuck out. Um, thank you for, <laughs> I'm sure you wanted something a little better than that, but I mean, that's the truth. I've, I was fucking glad to get out. Um, so thank you for participating, Jackie. On to my good friend, Brian. I love you, buddy. Good friend from college. We went to college. Uh, we went to undergrad together in a town called Tahlequah in Oklahoma. Um, that's when I broke my back. I was at a lake called Lake Ten Killer. Um, yes, Ten Killer. <laughs> well, uh, Tahlequah also, um, if you're familiar with the, the book and movie Where the Red Fern Grows, um, the book was written there. It's about Tahlequah and the movie was filmed there. Um, and Tahlequah also, most importantly, is the capital of the Cherokee Nation. Brian asks, what was one of your favorite memories with me from Tahlequah, James? I want to know. A my cue, please. I can't choose just one favorite memory, all right? Partly because I, I had drank so much in college and then even more in grad school. There was a lot I don't remember. But just, I love being around you. Um, you're a pure soul. Like, you're just you're an angel of a human being. Like you are just, I, I don't think there's any quark, any, any part of an atom in you that is bad or, or malicious or selfish. You're just one of the most kind and gentle and generous people I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. Um, that said, I do want to pick out one memory that I'm pretty sure you were around for. It was the time, it was freshman year, I was 19, 
Uh, so it must have been second semester. I was living in the dorms. You were too. You were down at the end of the hall. And I had taken magic mushrooms for the first time in my life. And I ate like a whole eighth. Like, I think I had like three or four grams or something. I just ate the whole fucking pack that I bought. And there was a group of other people who who were uh, uh, tripping as well. Like, we all just, you know, decided, yeah, let's fucking trip. Well, long story short, at one point, you weren't tripping. But I went with you over to somebody's apartment um, to drink. It's where we used to go and, like, drink and play dominoes or cards or something. And then we go over there. Um, and, um, oh, Jesus, I'm forgetting our mutual friend's name. He's the one who really laughed at me. The fuck, James? I'm terrible with names. I'm sorry. You know who you are. <laughs> well, we're at the, we're at that apartment. You guys are just like drinking, like doing shots of like KD or something, Kentucky Deluxe, which by the way, um, the other dude, I fucking forgot his name. I can't think of his name either. Uh, one time we were all doing shots of KD and we just did one shot and he slammed his shot glass down and he said, you know what? The thing about Kentucky Deluxe is every time I take a shot of it, that shot tastes worse than the last one. <laughs> well, that was a different time. The time I was just tripping fucking balls my first time ever tripping um you guys were rolling a blunt and you purchased a blunt wrap from some gas station and uh i think i was the only one there who was tripping maybe there was someone else there who was tripping too but you guys were all just drinking and smoking and somebody hands me the uh, blunt wrapper or, or the wrapper wrapper. You, you guys just got a blunt wrap, but you gave me the uh, blunt wrap wrapper, the uh, the foil thing, and said, don't look at the label, but just smell it and tell us what flavors are in it. So I smelled it, and... <laughs> and I smelled it, and I named off all of the um, <laughs> I smelled it <laughs> I in my head I named off all of the the flavors that I smelled and somebody somebody said you got it you got it and I looked at the back of the wrapper and it named off the different fruit flavors in the blunt wrap and I got them all but the thing is, I'm confused now because I don't know if I actually said all the things because homeboy, whose name I cannot remember, um, he laughed at me. I found out like years later that um, when I was smelling it first, they're like, what do you smell? And I was trying to say purple, but I just went perp, 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 perp. <laughs> So I don't even know if I actually named the things off, but I fucking, in my head, I got all those flavors, those scents right. Uh, so yeah, there you go. Maybe you'll remember that. So thank you for participating, Brian. Uh, next question comes from my cousin Shay. Uh, Shay asks, how do you feel about Black Lives Matter? Are you moved by the protests? Have you taken part in in them. No idea what the podcast is generally about, but I'd like to check it out. Uh, Shay, you should definitely check it out. Um, how do I feel about Black Lives Matter? Am I moved by the protests? And have I taken part in them? Uh, I'm very much moved by the protests, and I'm very much moved by uh, the fighting that arises from it sometimes. Um, I'm really embarrassed to say that I have not taken part in the protests. Um, I don't live super close enough to downtown where it would be feasible to like walk in. Um, I'm certainly not going to drive there and I don't trust the buses. 
uh, it would be an over an hour long walk. Um, and I always find out about the fucking protests like after the fact, except for the first weekend. And that was really the only weekend that I wasn't like, I didn't have other shit that I had to do, um, that I could have gone, but I chose not to because I saw at the very beginning, that first weekend of protests, um, there was a lot of police brutality and a lot of arrests happening. And there are still arrests happening here. Um, and I already, I've already been to jail once. I've already got a record for a nonviolent um, class B misdemeanor. So the first weekend when shit was really popping off, uh, pregnant women getting shot in the stomach, one had a miscarriage. Yes, not woman, women, one had a miscarriage. Uh, a person blinded, people getting shot in the head, gassed, sprayed, just massive arrests for days. Um, and, and not to mention that COVID-19 is spiking again uh, here in Austin and other places as well. But since I live in Austin, I can speak for Austin. For like the past two weeks, it has exceeded the the number of new cases has exceeded itself again and then yet again it keeps breaking the record because so many places are opening up now um and it's so difficult with the protests and a fucking pandemic going on at the same time um i'm still social distancing and wearing a mask and stuff like that um and Honestly, my desire to be part in one of the protests outweighs uh, my fear of COVID-19. But that first weekend, um, I just, I was afraid of like getting fucking arrested again. And I was like, it's a hundred degrees outside. It's going to be over an hour long walk to even get to the beginning of downtown. Um, and I'm afraid that if I make that walk and go down there, I'm afraid like I would get picked up. Like, how am I going to avoid police on that long walk? Um, so no, I'm embarrassed to say I've not take participated in the protests here in Austin, but I support them, but I've donated to bail funds and, you know, written to the fucking, City Council, which feels pretty futile. Um, I think the bailout funds are very fucking useful, though. Um, what else? What do I feel about Black Lives Matter? Um, of course I fucking support it. Duh. Um, you should check out Shay. If you're watching this episode, you should watch the episode just before this one. I talk a lot more about it um, earlier today on, and, and I've been. I, I actually talked a little bit about this in the last episode too, about brands co-opting um, Black Lives Matter, and that's problematic. It's a problem um, because the intent behind black lives matter is to fight for and demand real material change. Um, and a lot of the type of change that would need to happen directly, directly flies into the face of the status quo of our, um, political economy, um, prisons and, and police funding, all this stuff. Um, uh, there's an entire structure on law and order that even the fucking Democrats, and I'm sorry, people, but liberals, liberal is not leftist. As far as like world politics, as far as political and economic theory is concerned, a liberal is centrist and liberalism tends to 
throughout history, as I've said before, slide to the right. Leftism is most of it. I, I don't know of any leftism other than one that's like completely, uh, you know, back to like bartering or whatever. I, I can't primitive, like prim and prim anarcho primitivism. Other than that, like leftists are inherently anti-capitalist and liberals and not all of the Democrats are liberals. Some consider themselves, some are more left, but um, mainstream, like just there's so much fucking propaganda in this country that people are very uh, politically and economically illiterate. And I don't think that's their fault. I think that's by design to keep people dumb. Um, so the thing with Black Lives Matter is that it's being co-opted by a lot of different brands and even stuff for like the pandemic I've been seeing getting co-opted for brands like hang in there. And I, I, I mentioned this on uh, Instagram and Twitter earlier this morning. And I was like, um, uh, consumer brands are not your allies. And there's no way they could be allies because their primary objective, their primary function consumer brands, consumerism, the prime objective is to accrue and keep collecting capital ad infinitum, get more money, more money, more money, more money. And a lot of that comes at the expense of the workers, um, be they blue collar or white collar, we are all getting exploited. And I say, if a consumer brand really wants to say, we stand with Black Lives Matter, we stand with um, minorities that, you know, we're, we're against inequality, saying that and putting out some kind of hashtag is cheap, performative, empty gestures. And it's something a lot of Republicans do, and it's something a lot of Democrats do. Pelosi and Schumer, uh, empty pablum with no material change because material change, the stuff that we need, the stuff that would equal real justice and equality, uh, it inherently flies in the face of our current form, like I said, of uh, capitalism. So if a brand really wants to be an ally, they would have to abandon, say, a corporate consumer, corporate capitalist structure and become something more like a worker co-op or even a, um, uh, you know, even if you want it to be like a big chain, like Popeye's or something, what if they became like a, uh, a co-op syndicate? where they coordinate, but it's a co-op across the board. If you really want to be an ally, find ways, you know, posting a black square saying, I know, I don't know. That's good. I mean, that's a good start. And it's good that you're aware of this stuff. But what we need is real material change. Um, and that's a big fucking tricky thing. But funny enough, just so turns out, uh, weeks of protests happens to get a lot of stuff done that years and years and years and years of just wait, just vote, just write a letter. Shit doesn't work. The voting system itself is unequal. Um, so... And even the protests don't get covered. I find it interesting and telling um, how media pays more attention when people burn shit down. And when people burn shit down, 
the powers that be, the ruling class, are a little more apt to concede and come up with some kind of compromise. But compromise is not enough. I could go on. Thank you for your question, Shay. I hope you're doing well. Thank you for participating. Uh, next question here. Um, ah, I have to look on my phone. I got the other questions on my phone. Okay. Uh, just give me a second, please. It's taking me a second. Okay. Uh, Jenna asks, what's your favorite kind of taco? Pussy. Also, are you really an enemy of the government? Yeah. I swear, I'm, I gotta be on a list. And I'm sure a lot of people I know are on a fucking list. It only makes sense that we would be on a list. That's nothing new. Kings and emperors have spied on their own people for hundreds of years, thousands of years. So, yeah, I'm sure I'm on a list. I'm sure I'm some type of threat. <laughs> because I'm anti-capitalist. Um, thank you for your questions, Jenna. Thank you for participating. And... Here are the final rounds of questions. These ones come from Emily, who's the guest on the last episode. Emily asks a few different questions. What are you most grateful for today? If you could switch places with one person, who would it be and why? And if you could have a do-over in your life, what would it be? Mm, so what are you most grateful for today? Um, I'm grateful for a lot of different things. I'm grateful I have a place to live. I'm grateful I have a family and friends that I get along with well for the most part. I'm grateful I'm safe and can feed, uh, you know, feed myself, um, I'm grateful for like everything. Um, if you could switch places with one person, who would it be and why? Uh, well, you didn't mention if that person is alive or dead. So I'm going to go ahead and answer both. Let's start with alive. Um, alive, I would switch places with John Malkovich. Um, not that I really want to be him because I just don't, <laughs> I really don't want to be him. Um, he seems like he wouldn't be like the funnest person to switch places with, but I would do it just because of the movie being John Malkovich. And so I could say like, yo, I, I was John Malkovich. I, I beat him. Um, and then for dead, who would I be? Who's dead? What person? Hmm. Who would I want to be who who's dead? Ooh. And let's say it switched places for just a day. I, I wouldn't want to be that person forever, maybe. Um all I can think of is Shakespeare. And there's some, you know, there's some argument that Shakespeare didn't really exist, but you know, fuck that. I say Shakespeare existed and I would want to be Shakespeare. Um, and then if you could have a do-over in your life, what would it be? That's a tough one. Because um, I don't really regret anything. All the challenges and mistakes and errors I've made in my life have helped me become who and what I am now. They were all lessons. However, um, I would like to have never broken my back. Yeah. It would be very nice to 
have a not permanently broken back. Um, and that's it. Thank you, Emily, for participating. Thank you all for participating in this Q&A. I hope you found it entertaining, and I hope it helped helped you waste time in a way that you liked wasting it. Thanks for tuning in. I love you. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.